Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work, the podcast from the British Association of Social Workers. This is space for conversation, discussion with social workers, the individuals they support, and colleagues working in related professions. We consider the key matters affecting social workers as we explore contemporary issues with a focus at the local, national, and global levels. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McLenahan, and today my guests and I will be discussing the government's plans for the long overdue reform of adult social care in England. Adult social care in England, unlike healthcare, is not free at the point of use. Support from the state is restricted to those with both the highest level of need and the lowest means. The result is that many people have to fund their care needs themselves. Since the 1990s, successive governments have unsuccessfully attempted to reform the overall approach to funding adult social care. For example, all the way back in 1997, shortly after becoming Prime Minister, Tony Blair told the Labour Party conference that he didn't want children to grow up in a country where the only way pensioners can get long-term care is by selling their home. Fast forward 22 years and on the 24th of July 2019, in his first speech as Prime Minister, Boris Johnson vowed to fix the crisis in social care once and for all. In January 2020, the Prime Minister said the government would bring forward a plan this year and would get it done within this parliament. However, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the government subsequently said it would not be possible to meet this timetable. Then, in a statement to the House of Commons on the 7th of September 2021, Boris Johnson announced plans to subsequently increase funding for health and social care over the next three years to be funded by a new tax, the Health and Social Care Levy. It's these proposed changes, why they are needed and whether they are likely to be delivered, which I'll be discussing today with my guests. They are Resh Patel, an expert by experience of adult social care, Jackie Mahoney, co-chair of the Basra England Adult Thematic Group, and Kitty Jackson, co-chair of Basra England's committee. Welcome, Kitty. Welcome, Resh. Welcome, Jackie. How are you all doing? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Good, thank you. Welcome, welcome. So, let's see, just to get the voices identified, that was uh, Kitty last, yeah? Yes, yeah, that was yes. me. Okay, welcome, Jackie, and hi, Resh. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Where is everybody? Resh, where are you at the moment? I'm in the West Midlands, um, Walsall area. Okay. And that, how are things in the West Midlands? Could be better. Could be very much better. There, um, No staff, no recruitment. Um, very difficult to get staff really here. Um, and it's not an easy time when you're trying to recruit somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, really. I can imagine. And those are the issues we're going to be digging into. And thank you for joining us, Resh. Kitty, where are you? I'm based in the East Midlands, so in the Nottingham area. Okay, okay. Is there any sort of rivalry between East and West Midlands? I don't know. What do you think, Resh? I don't, I don't think there's a rivalry. I quite like the West Midlands, but maybe Resh will tell me different. I feel that um, the East Midlands, um, having lived in the East Midlands, um, it's much, much easier to recruit, much, much easier to... Oh. Um, they're much, much, much further forward when it comes to independent living. Um, So when we talk about the postcode lottery, living in the East Midlands is much, much easier than the West Midlands. Okay, okay. Thanks for sharing that. And Jackie, where are you? Um, 
I'm actually not in the UK. I'm actually um, currently in a hotel room in Cape Verde. It's my um, outstanding. Wow. <laughs> my fiftieth tomorrow. So I decided. So when this was all planned, as I was, I'd already had my holiday planned. So by the power of uh, technology and Wi-Fi, yeah, I'm here. Been on this it is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's really going above and beyond. Yeah. Um, Jackie, appreciate it. No, I suppose great. when Let's Talk Social Work comes calling, you don't say no. no. It's the big time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Thank you. Um, it's, it's great to kind of just find out where everyone is, how everyone is. Um, let's get into this discussion because it's incredibly important and it's quite detailed. Um, but I want to start off just to set the scene. Um, a quick uh, overview of how adult social care is currently provided and funded in England. Kitty or Jackie, could you tell us a little bit about how the current system works? At the moment, I work, I work in local authority. So at the moment, um, the, the funding is um, mainly through a, an assessment and eligibility process. So um, obviously local authorities get pocket gets, gets a set amount of money. We have a care purchasing pot, um, people approach the local authority for in terms of requiring some kind of support or believing that they need some kind of support. Um, there's an assessment process to determine eligibility via the CARE Act. And then um, potentially from that, we're looking at the next stages support planning. And it may be that there is commission support um, in place with that, or there may not. It may be signposting or there may be some support out there that actually doesn't need a commissioning requirement. We do have pots of money, different pots of money that come in. So you've got um, better care funds, you've got different pots of money for short term pieces of work around assisted technology. Um, and you also have um, continuing health care, which is an NA, which is a total health related pot of money that um, people can access. But that again, that's another assessment and eligibility determination. So um, in essence, that's that's where people would how we would fund social care at the moment through taxes okay and why does the system need reform um i think that i mean that's a good question really because we're ever changing the the wheel and we're ever trying to um and the the opinion potentially is that it needs that it needs improvement um i think it's what that improvement looks like because in essence somebody coming into the system and that assessment and eligibility determination and support planning is um, is a fairly straightforward process. The difficulty is, is the funding element. The difficulty is, is the amount of money in the pot, where that's put, what, what that's used for. And that's not just about, it's not just about money. It's about attraction of resources um, and people in the pot as well so you've not just got financial resources you've got people resources actual resources to deliver on what social workers are asking what social workers agree when they're working with people would meet their needs um, as determined through the assessment so the reform reform is always um learning and reform and re refresh and um it's always there and we're taught that in social work we're taught to reflect and learn continually but it's how it's done and actually what impact it has um that is the most important thing and we learn from history we learn from our past what hasn't worked well but i don't think we always do that <laughs> 
Okay, thank you, Jackie. Moving on then, Resh, um, I want to know about the support you receive at present and whether it's adequate to meet your needs. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about the support that you, you need and the support that you receive? And do they do they match up? Okay, so I do currently receive um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week support. That's what my funding package is anyway, um, as, a, as, a, as a direct payment, which means that I receive the money in my hand to pay out for personal assistance, agencies, support workers. Um, in theory, it should meet all my needs. However, as a direct result of wages not rising um, much above minimum wage, and I've noticed that, and I must, I should have said, Andy, that I've been on direct payment since 1996. So I've seen what I call the good old days as well, where, you know, we were able to pay more than agencies. So, but nowadays we are not. So we've definitely got a shortage of staff wanting to work in the care and support market. So recruitment in itself has been practically impossible, especially even more so since the pandemic and COVID. And the reality is that, yes, my immediate needs in my physical needs are being met, but do I really have a quality of life? that, you know, my social worker wanted me to have and anybody else who assessed me wanted me to have? Possibly not. Um, Well, definitely not really. I mean, and over the last couple of weekends, I've really felt it as I've been forced to go down agencies. My recent experience of agencies is that they're not flexible. They want to charge you for hours that I've not had, provide staff that are not drivers, have poor English and cannot support me in the way that I need supporting, resulting in me falling back, even in my own work. I work like full time and I'm actually spending more time trying to tell people how to do things again and again and again, repeating myself over and over again, as opposed to getting on and leading a life and receiving the support um, as and when needed. So, Resh, could I ask you, how do you feel in terms of, is it social opportunities you're missing out on? Yeah, I'm missing, I'm totally missing out on social opportunities in the fact that, you know, if you want to arrange to go to a concert, then it's like, who have you got available to go? And then if you're not coming back, sort of before 10 o'clock, or if you're not coming, or if I want to go out with friends, that's the best example, straight after work, I can no longer do that because the agencies that I'm currently using are saying that their staff have to be back before seven, which means that it restricts my ability to have choices. Is the the support that you're receiving, do you feel it's kind of focused on your healthcare, your ability to get to work, but maybe not recognising the importance of social life and things like that in terms of mental well-being and emotional well-being? Is that is that a, an area that's, that's overlooked? Well, that's basically what I'm saying, that since yeah. COVID... It feels like that's just been overlooked totally by all agencies that, because I've used agencies in the past before COVID and never had a problem. But um, since COVID, I've noticed that it's, you know, the new government papers talk about controlling choice. But in actual fact, I, I ask myself, who's controlling who at the moment? And it's because they feel like they've got the upper hand on me, you know. I used to be able to, I used to have a really active life and used to be able to go on holidays that were really easy to plan um, along with staff. 
But now I've not been able to, you know, go on a holiday for over a year. Um, and it's just becoming more and more of a nightmare. And then even when you are trying to recruit, I've got an advert out at the moment, Andy. And if you get people arranging interviews, not turning up for their interviews. Um, you get people applying from Nigeria, you know, and it just feels like it's just becoming such a constraint that I think it's mentally affecting me and I'm going slowly, slowly falling more and more into a depressive state, um, being constrained by care agencies because they feel that they have a hold. And I wonder, you know, the government states we should have choice, but at the moment, I don't know how many people do have choice. You know, I was just looking on Facebook and all you ever see is adverts, adverts, adverts for various people. And you're sitting there thinking, we can't all be struggling, but I think we are all struggling, you know, especially because we were, you know, we sort of pushed for direct payments back in 1996. Mm -hmm. And yet now we seem to be the ones that are struggling even more. And Rhett, I'm really keen to get on to those three core principles that were outlined in the government's white paper. So I'm going to come back to those. But I'm very interested, you mentioned um, how the pandemic changed things. Now, we know that the plans that Boris Johnson announced for the reform of funding of adult social care, they were delayed because of the pandemic. But can you tell me a bit about the impact that COVID had in terms of making you know the situation worse? How did it affect you as a service user? Well, obviously, as with everybody, during the pandemic, we all had to learn a different way of life. But we also then managed to isolate ourselves so much that to actually get back into it is much more difficult. But in terms of staff, they also got used to a different way of lifestyle. So they now feel that sometimes working in the home is what, you know, support work is all about. It's not necessarily about going out like it used to be. But so I think the mindsets of people have changed out there um, in terms of the pandemic as well. So, and people are still frightened of, you know, getting COVID as well. So, and then you've got the gloves as well. So you've got the gloves and the masks coming into it. Um, so in reality, people don't want to take risks, you know, and I can understand that to a certain extent, but, you know, genuinely people don't want to take risks. But that's, I mean, that's incredibly interesting. I had never appreciated that issue of, you know, the idea of kind of the focus on the home, everything being, you know, focused on the home during the pandemic and how that could impact people, um, who need services, um, you know, as we return to some sort of normality. Yeah, I think um, just from my perspective, what Resh is talking about from a, from the other side, which is the social work side of trying to provide those services is a resourcing issue. What we're seeing in social work is that actually we don't have the carers, we don't have the personal assistance to kind of get in and support people. And then often we're having to either pay higher rates for that support or we're having to really, really kind of scuttle around trying to find those resources. So what COVID has done has really brought that kind of caring, um, it's kind of a caring crisis, I guess, to a head in a lot of ways, where we're kind of short on caring professionals, caring staff. 
um, because the government don't often invest in that as a as a profession. Um, it's not getting the funding that it needs. It's not getting the recruitment drive that it needs. So what we're seeing is we don't have those resources in the same way. So when people are in need of support, we're often not able to get to get that in place. So it, it's just to link to what Resh was saying there, really, in terms of on the flip side of our experience as social workers in that it's incredibly difficult to to get those things in we want to do that we've done our assessments but actually without that investment and that recruitment drive into some of those um professions it's incredibly difficult to do that as well yeah i mean i just wanted to i suppose expand on that i think there's a number of things for me i think certainly you know um there has been some campaigns historically around people um, having control and choice. I know um, Rob Mitchell was doing something around around the, um, you know, stay up late campaign in the sense of when people are in supported accommodation, then, you know, they're going to bed at eight o'clock because that's the time that, you know, everybody, all the support that suits the support workers and not the person. I think the, the issue is systemic and I think the issue around um, how social care support staff are um are viewed and how they are attracted and retained into as a population of people is is something that i would um hope that would be and is mentioned in part of the reforms it's one of those areas where there's um the the gap between the ideology and the reality has just gotten bigger and bigger and i think one of the things part of that is covid part of that was brexit and i think that probably started it and nobody likes talking about brexit because you all think it's done and dusted and everything's hunky-dory but that migration and population of people that were coming into into the uk to do though to do these to do you know support type work that were moving able to move in and out freely and then obviously you've got covid and you've got all the things that went on with COVID in the sense of people made have made different life choices. Everybody is more in tune or maybe generally more aware of, of potential illness, etc. out there. So the whole world's changed. But that ideology, Resh shouldn't have to and nobody should have to. I don't struggle in my life if I want to go out. And if we're if we're going along the lines of, of what historical um that bit about you know the the Equalities Act and diversity and around around people with disabilities having equal opportunities than everybody as everybody else, then we are then, you know, in terms of social work, it's extremely disappointing and frustrating as a social worker as well, that I'm not able to deliver that. I'm not able to help somebody to to have the same opportunity in life um, in terms of and have a quality of life that they want have the outcomes that they want because there is this massive, there is this issue around how um, how they do that. And, you know, it's exhausting enough without having to get up, at, wake up every morning and think, who's going to support me? How am I going to do it? Oh, I fancy going to cinema tonight. Oh, no, I can't. I've got to literally cajole somebody to come with me and support me. That shouldn't be the case at all. And I'm just, I just want to know why you think that might be, because I'm just thinking through. So healthcare, social care, we can all identify with healthcare. Most people have been to hospital. Everyone goes to the doctors. Do you think there's a sense that when it comes to social care, that people who don't need social care it's just so far off their agenda that they could need social care that we tend to 
the question is, do we devalue social care or do we just not consider it enough? Is it not forefront in our mind to, to consider it of value? I don't think we consider, I don't think we've valued it. I don't think it's been valued for a long time. I think, um, well, since the dawn of time, potentially, I think, you know, that when, with the erection of the of the health, you know, the health system and the NHS, it, it sort of sprung up in a big flurry of, you know, who, how and everything else. And it was changed. But the actual shift in terms of the um, in terms of social care came from the poor law. Now nobody nobody went woo. The poor laws came along, and everybody you know as as their cost of their quality of life, and we're looking after those people who can't look after themselves as much. We never there wasn't as much. That's not that's not stayed as much in terms of a, a massive evolution in society. Whereas the inception of the health health service has and i think that there's um there is that that we need a massive sort of pr pr boost i think in terms of you know quality of life impacts on health lack of quality of life impacts on health it all has intrinsic is intrinsically connected so not dealing with it in equality in an equal way only makes the situation worse. You're bringing it back though to health being the benchmark against which this is assessed, not social opportunities. Do you know what I mean? Not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. I think they should be. I think not in my view. I think they should be equal. What I am saying is they haven't been equal, and I think partly that is how it's been portrayed and and how it's been um, and how it's how it's viewed within the. So I think it should be equal because they're both connected. They both they're both interlinked um, in equal ways. And actually, if you don't if you don't if somebody doesn't have a good quality of life, if you don't create that, that impacts on their well being. So actually, it's more important to look at the social care element than it is the health element because if they're not, because that will impact on their health if you don't get it right in their life. Thank you, Jackie. So. In December 2021, uh, the government published the long-awaited white paper named People at the Heart of Care, and it sets out a 10-year vision for the reform of adult social care that seeks to put people at the heart of social care. And this is something that Resh touched on earlier. Now, it's based on three core principles. They are, one, people have choice, control and support to live independent lives. Two, people can access outstanding quality and tailored care and support. And three, people find adult social care fair and accessible. And I want to look at each of these in turn. Um, At present, how far are we from delivering on those principles? So if we start at the beginning, Resh, um, does current provision enable you to have choice, control and support to live an independent life? I know you've touched on this already in terms of the the restrictions in terms of your social life. So I'm I'm guessing the answer you're going to say is, is probably no. Yeah, probably there is the answer. Um, definitely no. I've definitely been working towards it. I've, I've been trying really, really hard over the last six months to change my life because I really do believe that, you know, we should be able to change our lives ourselves. But now I'm beginning to question it because, you know, as Katie mentioned as well and Jackie mentioned, that if the staff aren't there out there to recruit in the first place, it's very difficult for you to actually... Um, employ people and train them up and get them to put themselves in your shoes you know and you know I'm I'm proud of that don't get me wrong Andy I've got two members of staff that have been with me for over seven years 
you know, so I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I have been able to train staff to not be become like me, but to think like me while they're here, in the time that they're with me, that, you know, to think like me. But I think in the present day of staff, present day, when we're um, competing against places like Aldi, we, we are competing against supermarkets that can offer higher rates um, for set hours. It's not easy to recruit someone, especially if you're then looking at evenings, weekends, where, the, you know, in the local authority I live in, there is no additional rates. It's the same rate, whether it's bank holiday, whether it's um, weekends, whether it's night time. So it's not as easy to recruit in any way whatsoever. So it, it has impacted on, on my good choice and control, definitely. The second point, Resh, people can access outstanding quality and tailored care and support. It doesn't sound like you can tailor the care you're receiving to your needs. At the moment, yeah, at the moment, not. And I keep hoping that, you know, I'm going that, you know, I, I, I intend to move it on somehow, but I've got not a clue how yet, Andy. Um, I know that I need to change my life if I'm not going to end up in hospital, if I'm not going to end up, you know, feeling that depressed that um, I can't even work any longer, you know. So in reality, it is having a really big impact on my life and I can't tailor it to meet my needs. Or the needs that were identified in my um, assessment, I'm not meeting any of them at the moment. Everything that... My social worker wrote in my assessment is not being met apart from my very basic. And in terms of that assessment, is that assessment, um, um, is that something which is um, done once or is it something that's reviewed every number of years? It's reviewed, every, change? It's reviewed every year. Okay, um, okay. So okay. you've still always got the fear of God every year as well that something might get reduced because that's all you ever hear in the papers. yeah. One thing I was just thinking as Resh was speaking around the people having independence and choice and control over their care, I think you've got a, a large number of social workers who are in this job because they care and because they want to support people. But what I think often happens is we, we try and support people to an extent. So it's within the existing resources that we have that we can support people to have cho- try, try to have choice and control and independence. So, for example, it's within these areas of care that we've got so whether it's a care agency or personal assistance it's within reason within those remits in a lot of ways so it's I think that this is what Jackie was talking about in terms of ideology and that not matching up with the practice on the ground is that actually we do have we do want to do that but actually we don't always have the resource to do that and to allow that choice and control in those ways so I think that's definitely something that we come across a lot as social workers and that makes our job harder in a lot of ways as well Um, and it also links I think a little bit to what we were talking about previously about how social work is viewed as a profession Um, I do think that we are viewed as a kind of a sub par profession in maybe a sub what's the right phrase 
uh, below par profession in relation if you compare us to say doctors or nurses if you even just think about in the pandemic where the nurses and doctors and the health professions were getting a clap every Thursday that's brilliant I was out there banging my pan and clapping people and that was brilliant but I'm just thinking about how we're perceived in the media as, as a profession and how we're perceived by the public as a profession I do think there's a disconnect in how the public views us and then also the um, investment in us as a profession from the government but also from other people in society understanding what we do as well and I think that then has an impact on what we can achieve and how we can support people. I mean I know there's a huge misunderstanding um, amongst the public of what social workers do and I know that in the media we often have negative portrayals of social workers almost exclusively in relation to children's services but mm-hmm. I would I would argue that in relation to adult social care and this sort of work I would guess that most members of the public just wouldn't have have a conception of what social workers do because it's just not something that would be thought of, you know? Um, I t- yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with that, Andy. I think, I think one of the biggest problems is, and you're so good, Katie, I wasn't out clapping. That wasn't because I didn't have an appreciation <laughs> for what, for what um, people had done, you know, and how hard people had worked. I just don't think it was equally, equally um, given out. So I think there was, you know, mm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of this that is around well, actually, what do social workers do? What do we do? And and that's something that we, you know, I'm committed to changing in terms of on having the population understand what social workers do. And I've I've used this quite uh, quite a lot lately. You know, if I was a brain surgeon, I wouldn't be able to do my job without the tools and the implements that did everything. You know, that that um, could perform that operation. And I think that, you know, I think in sometimes with social workers, there is a set of skills and knowledge and experience and wisdom that is taught, that is um, learned within an educational provision. Um, they are accountable um, so um, for their actions, not only as professionals, but as professionals in their own right. So I think there's a lot of work to be done around understanding what social work is and what social workers um, do, and I don't think again we often um, we often do our best for ourselves either, Katie. You know what I mean. We're not really good at that ourselves sometimes. In terms of when somebody comes, you know, and asks us, "Well, what do you, you know, what do you do?" I think Andy just touching on that choice and control and access to outstanding personalised care and support. I mean, you know, again, Resh has highlighted really vividly the lack of choice and control that people have in terms of um, the support they receive and how they work, how they receive that support and how that supports them in their life. I think we've got some things coming down the road in terms of, you know, um, adult social care in particular is is looking at um, CQC inspections from a local authority perspective, and and obviously you've got so that outstanding person, outstanding personalised care and support. You know there may be a level of accountability that's that's not been there historically in the sense of what CQC will bring to that picture, and whether that will improve. But you still got to have that um, outstanding personalised care and support, you still got to have the people to deliver that and the systems in place to make sure that those outcomes are being achieved. And again, you know, this, the health and social care levy, which we we'll probably may come on to and the workforce element of that, 
you know, maybe may go some way to improve that, but that's yet to be seen. Yes, and that is exactly where we wanted to move on to because the third point um, of those principles um, from the white paper is people find adult social care fair and accessible. That was published in December 2021. A few months before, in September 2021, um, the government had published its document Building Back Better, Our Plan for Health and Social Care. And in that, government set out its plans to reform adult social care in England, pledging £5.4 billion to be used to fund reforms over the next three years. And core to that, which many people may be aware of, is the proposal that from October 2023, um, a new £86,000 cap on the amount anyone in England will have to spend on their personal care over their lifetime would be introduced. Now, that cap is going to apply irrespective of a person's age or income. And the government also plans to make the means test for accessing local authority funding support more generous. So I'm keen to know what those changes are going to mean for service users, um, users of adult social care, and whether or not they're welcome. But as part of that also, the government has pledged to introduce, um, as part of its reforms, what it's calling a fair cost of care for people who self-fund their own care. So would somebody uh, be willing to volunteer to answer those questions? What will the cap mean and what does the fair cost of care mean for people that self-fund? Should I kick off again? Oh, yes, please. Fresh. <laughs> only to say that um, I do welcome the changes, only because I know at the moment that people who are self-funders, yeah, they're being ripped off left, right and centre. You know, I've seen it, you know, in, with my own eyes where self-funders are paying ridiculous amounts I've got a stat for you, Emresh. Um, in 2017, the Competition and Markets Authority estimated that a self-funder will on average pay 40% more than a local authority-funded person in the same care home. That's astronomical. Yeah, and they're doing the same within the home environments. So if, you're, if you need support just one or two hours a day or even larger packages like myself, um, the amount they're charging is incredibly you know, high in comparison to local authority rates or people who are on direct payments. And when I found out that, which I only found out, to be honest, about three years ago, I was absolutely shocked and gobsmacked that, you know, people were paying over the odds for exactly the same level of support that I would I would be getting from exactly the same provider. Um, so I really do welcome the idea of the fairer costs. So the idea of the... £86,000 cap, I think it will make a big difference because the idea of people having to sell their houses um, in order to fund residential care or any type of care, I think is really ridiculous when people have paid their pensions, you know, and you're talking about elderly people needing support that have saved up all their lives. I know this will mean a lot more work for social services in itself, but in reality, I think, again, it should be, we were saying earlier about being equitable to NHS services when it came to the pandemic. And I would argue, again, that both the NHS service and social care should be equitable. So if NHS is free at the point of point of need, then I would argue the similar to with social, social care, and therefore at least that 86,000 pound cap goes somewhere towards supporting that. So I would, sorry to butt in, but I would, I would suggest a different way and I'd probably slightly have a different viewpoint in terms of, in terms of rush. 
I think that from my experience working within local authorities, we don't actually know what the cost of care is, you know, for a person. And yes, there are people, you know, I could be in my little, you know, I could be in my 80s with my, you know, in my little care home with millions of pounds paying a thousand pounds a week and I'm getting exactly the same service as somebody who's paying the local, who's, who's getting a local authority rate. I think the reality is, is what happens is, what's happening is, is that the homes, the, the home, because there isn't actually, I don't think, a figure out there that says it does cost X to, to live in a care home, that the, the homes are almost in a position where, you know, and, and I'm saying this, they're theorising that they're almost in a position where they're having to prop up the cost of the home through the private funded sector because they're not getting enough from local authorities. So if we, in fairness, if we had a um, research evidence-based, what is the cost of care, and actually applied that, then I would suggest that we would need to, um, local authorities would seriously need to consider, or we'd give local authorities more money to be able to pay the right amount for not just caring care homes, but also um, age, you know, rates of pay for support workers. So you're uplifting the whole system. By, by increasing the cost of the care cap, what you're doing is you're going to flood the whole system, um, including with um, groups of people. And that's not just the, the care system, that's the local authority, that's social workers, they'll all need assessments. And potentially at the, you know, at a, at the extreme, bankrupt a lot of local authorities because they're going to have to pay for those people and also um, a lot of care homes may actually reconsider whether or not they can continue because they will be getting a local authority rate when actually they that that person the week before was paid privately so there's a lot of things that there's some things that could go wrong with this but I do agree with the concept and the principle that it should be more equal um, and that um, in terms of cost, but I think, do think we need, to, we need to find out how much it currently costs, you know, unequivocally, how much does it cost? This doesn't really answer that question, Jackie, and I suppose I'm not really here to answer the questions, but just in terms of a little bit of information, I'm going to put this into the show notes. There's a really helpful House of Commons Library briefing paper, which um, details issues around the proposed reforms um, to adult social care. And in that, it states that government modelling estimates 70% of local authorities pay below a fair cost of care, and that uh, leads providers to attempt to cross-subsidise. Yes. So it's, it's a very significant yeah. issue in terms of how many people it's going to affect, yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of bring in the kind of broader um, political and social context here as well, because what I've seen in areas that I've worked in is actually due to austerity and due to the cuts, actually a lot of local authority care homes have had to close and have had to be kind of slashed is a way of saving money but then what we see is we see a privatization of the care industry so all a lot of the care homes that I've partnered with in my role actually are private and therefore can charge what they want to charge or what they feel that is needed to be charged they can charge top-ups as well to families but then what we see is actually the local authority is over a barrel in those situations because they have no choice but to pay those those rates there isn't actually often a local authority rate sometimes in those care homes and if we want to fund somebody in the correct placement or care home bed then sometimes we do have to pay those higher rates so my worry with this is 
are we going to see um, an increase of that privatisation with the cap? Because are we actually going to have enough beds for people in terms of funding care? But are we also going to see the local authority, like Jackie said, flooded and over a barrel with regards to this? Um, but I do agree in principle that care should be fairer. We, I do think that our self-funders do get a worse deal in terms of the care that they get from us as a local authority, um, especially when they are receiving that similar support. But actually now what we're seeing is actually there isn't often a local authority rate in some places. And it's worth mentioning as well that locally, this can change depending on the area that somebody lives in. So I know Resh mentioned earlier the postcode lottery. Depending on your area and whether you've got local authority care homes, that might look different. If you're in a more rural area, you might not have as much choice. So there's all of these complexities that go into this um, discussion around the cap as well, which I think is worth bearing in mind. This adds a lot of stress for social workers. Yeah. Because every social, because when you go, when you're, when you've done your support plan, the majority of social workers are going to funding panels. So they're going to funding panels to agree this funding. This will add a massive amount of stress because, in my experience, most of the time, you know, um, those funding panel members are saying, well, if we can get it cheaper somewhere else, why aren't we moving that person somewhere else? So those conversations around around funding and um, that are going to get more challenging and they're going to get more difficult and that adds that will add you know, um, stress to to the to adult social workers, and on top of that, already feeling you know undervalued, etc. Then that's you know that's not going to be good for retention. So a lot of the time, you know, we have a lot of local authority. We have we have funding contracts within my local authority, but we're you know we have been in position. I've been in a position recently where. I've had to have a real challenging conversation with a funding panel member to say this lady's been in this home for over a year and yes it's a higher price and the home won't change that price but actually we've got you know moral and ethical duty to look at the risks if we move this lady um, to another home just because it costs less but that's the reality of social work today. Yeah Jackie that's incredibly challenging and what is going to become also a massive challenge which has been touched on before uh, earlier in the conversation is the impact of more self-funders sorry self-funders coming into the system to be assessed by um, social workers so a report published by the county council's network this is back in may this year it estimated that 4300 extra social work staff would be needed to, to carry out additional assessments because of the reforms and I was shocked. This represents a 39% increase in posts currently filled. So it's it's a huge change. Um, that's a huge increase, particularly in the context of the retention pressures already facing the profession. So the question to Katie, the question to Jackie is, how are local authorities going to respond to that? Can they respond to it? Is this manageable in any way? I think um, from my perspective, I don't feel that it is manageable. And, I've, and just looking at the white paper as well, obviously the government has pledged money to look at recruitment in, ad- in adult social care and to work on that. But what I feel is missing is the how they're going to do that. The current situation in adult social care is it's a tired staff. We've had a pandemic. We've all been working incredibly hard. There's high rates of burnout. There's high rates of compassion fatigue. Um, And for me, it feels like this potentially is maybe not the right time to do that. And it's going to be difficult to do that well. Um, 
I think what we need from the government is actually more of the how. How are they going to increase those social workers coming through the doors? It's worth mentioning as well that actually across local authorities there is a high dependency on agency staff at the moment because we can't get those consistent full-time members of staff on contracts actually a lot of independent social workers and agency social workers are also being used which is a higher cost to the local authority but again like with the care homes agency staff can demand these higher rates because there's a need for that staffing so for me it's quite it's going to be quite challenging to see how we do recruit in that way and what the government does with that but I think the government needs to invest in that and come up with a strategy for that um and also just to highlight that I guess alongside that there will be a need for kind of financial assessors as well if they're assessing people's financial situation in terms of the the cap and that's going to be another increase um for staffing within social care so again that's going to be another potential recruitment drive that will be needed um but I don't don't want to be negative but I don't hold out much hope for that just based on this current circumstance of adult social care. And and not just social workers skills for care they estimate that in May 2022 there was a 10.3% vacancy rate for adult social care staff that's huge Um, and it's going to be Resh was talking earlier about the difficulty with accessing um, the support she needs um, and how, how, how problematic that has become. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, I think um, I recently did a presentation actually for a job and, and came across that survey as well as as well as the ADAS Home Care and Workforce Survey. And there's, there is already over 1,700 social work vacancies um, out there that we've not, that, you know, we're, we're trying to, trying to recruit as well as, you know, 4% increase in home care demand. And I know my local authority have got just over a 1,000 hours that they haven't been, you know, they're still not able to find. They've still got gaps on. So I think that for me, the um, continuing with these reforms um, we, is, is not necessarily, it's not, it's not the right time for that, I would suggest. I would say that, we we just not in the right position. I think the danger is with the um, cost of care, the levy is that what will happen is is social so local authorities will rush to um, get the people in and actually look more towards unqualified people, which will further um, disseminate and dilute the social work role. So in order to meet it they would meet the demand, it will be a case, well, actually, we can, we will have a look at, and this is sort of happening at the, happening more and more, where we'll, we'll employ unqualified staff to do sort of more of an admin type assessment, not necessarily an assessment, um, you know, an assessment of need, but more of an admin type, and it'll be more of an admin function, and and, and obviously social workers will, will just become more and more diluted and less and less. Now there is a, there is some there is some you know and 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 we're already sort of trying to fight you know we're already in a bit of a fight in terms of the profession and profession itself so to add into that you know with this sort of pressure which is a numbers pressure um, is it's just going to make it more challenging because local authorities are just going to want to get the numbers in to do that job rather than actually think about, well, what does, you know, getting the right people in or improving the quality of the, the, the support for people from a social care perspective, i.e. 
I'm working with a professional, I'm working with a social worker. So I think, to be fair, it does need a pause. I mean, I'd welcome the money. Yes, and it's not just it's not just you saying that, Jackie. Um, earlier this month, the County Council Network um, they are supportive of the reforms, but they called for them to be delayed. They've cited what they're calling a perfect storm of staffing and financial pressures. They said there's not enough money. Um, they say that adult social care services in England are set to face 3.7 billion pounds mm-hmm. in additional costs yeah. over the next 18 months due to rising inflation and demand. Um, and if government doesn't provide any more funding to offset those costs, councils are going to have little choice but to reduce the amount of care packages available or to charge more for certain services. And unmet need will be yeah, unmet need will become um, even more prevalent. If you think about it, it's not just about the staff. If you think about it as well. Everybody who um, everybody who is coming in will need some kind of a, an account to say how much have they come in with, how much have they used so far in their their cap levy. So you've got a massive admin back room plus potentially computer systems that are going to calculate how much you've spent so far, how much are you nearly, are you nearly there, are you not nearly there. So it's not just it's everything. It's going to be a massive um, funding problem in the sense of not just social work people to do the assessment but then actually set up this sort of accounting balance sheet type process in the background. In terms of just that unmet need you mentioned because it's been mentioned a couple of times Age UK estimate there's 2.6 million people over the age of 50 living with some form of unmet care need in England and um, research by ADAS estimate around 300,000 people are waiting for a care assessment so it's huge the pressures are enormous. Now with with that in mind and with what the County Council Network have said in terms of delaying Basel England, they have launched a snapshot survey to consult with members on the issue of whether the reforms should be delayed. That survey will go live this week. This episode is going to drop on Thursday, um, Thursday the 20th of October, I believe. Yeah. Um, So to add your views to the survey, visit the Basel England section of the Basel website or find the link in the show notes which accompany this episode. I will put that in. And the production assistant has just told me that the survey will close on the 4th of November at 12pm. I've never had a production assistant for an episode. It's the wonderful Liz Howard from Basel England. Um, she's been in the background with her microphone off the whole episode. She's mega. Right, okay. Anyway, move on. So please do, if you're a member, do engage with that survey. To wrap up, what I want to talk about, though, is I want to know your views on whether any of this is actually going to happen. Government is in absolute turmoil. We had the second mini-budget announced today by the new Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. He's talking about further cuts to public spending. Jackie, you'd mentioned a couple of times the social care levy. The social care levy was, the health secretary has said that it's scrapped and funding for social care is going to, although remain unchanged, it's going to come from uh, general taxation. So everything is very, you could say fluid, you could say confused. But the question I have is, given the turmoil at the heart of government, given the economic uncertainty and the fact that we've had, I counted them, four different secretaries of state for health and social care since 2018, and I don't know how many chancellors of the Exchequer will have had by the time this episode goes out, um, how confident are you that government will follow through on the planned adult social care reform? And I'm going to go first to Resh. I'm not really. Um, I don't think that they, they will follow. Th- <laughs> I don't think that they will follow through anything. Um, they have a habit of doing U-turns as well. 
Have you, you've noticed that, Rish? Yeah, they have. <laughs> yeah. They're getting so used to them, they'll just be going around in circles. Yeah. 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 Um, and as social care has never been on the high list of priority for any government for however many years, um, I can't see them go through with the plans as yet in the near future. So, yes, I would say, I was going to say a pessimistic outlook, but I would say it's a pretty realistic outlook, Rish. Um, Jackie, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I would agree with Rish. I, I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure now what is going to go ahead or what is not. And I think recently, obviously, they've, you know, they've, they've got, they've sort of announced, they've announced things without knowing where, how they're going to pay for it. So at this point in time, I'm not even sure what they know they're doing or who's going to be in office. So I'm not optimistic. I think um, I'm quite sceptical in the sense of um, right, is it the right time and is it the right place? And I don't think often politicians view that. I think they're just looking at what is politically good for themselves. So, you know, either way, I know next year my local authority's got to save a lot of money. Um, and funding is getting tighter and tighter. So um, I'm not confident at all. And, you know, the way it's going, we could potentially be thrown into a general election um, at some point in the near future as well, which just throws everything, um, you know, in in disarray Um, again. So... Yeah, watch this. Watch this um, I think I'm just echoing what Resh and Jackie have said, to be honest. I do feel quite sceptical in terms of whether there'll be follow through with this. One thing I will say, just to end on a positive, is that I do feel that social care needs reform and the system does need reform. And it's, it's positive in some respects that the government is looking to put the white paper out to promote reform but I guess the bit that makes me skeptical is the how are we going to do that and also because everything is so up and in the air at the moment there is an impact on the people that we serve as social care like Resh and like all the experiences that Resh has talked about but also the social workers all this stuff being up in the air it just has a real impact on everybody who receives services who tries to assess services um the financial side as well it all you know, all impacts on those stress levels that we've already talked about and those difficulties that we've talked about. So for me, it would be another quite sceptical view and I don't think we'll see any follow-through anytime soon, unfortunately. And Andy, I would say, just on that positive note, there is still a lot of brilliant work going on on the ground in social work. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I just, I think it's really important to... To, to say that, that a lot of the time, you know, there is brilliant work going on. People's lives do, you know, not to the degree that, that I would want it to on a daily basis, um, certainly, but they, they do make a difference. And I think there's a lot of people working really hard with what they've got, which isn't a lot, and I would agree needs reform, but they're still working really hard. And not recognised when not recognised for that, and I think that's you know that's what we need to. The message I would want to get across is there is brilliant work going on out there. People using the tools that they've got, which isn't a lot, um, but they're still making a difference. Absolutely, and I think that's vital. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you so much, Resh. Thank you, Katie. It's been a really wonderful conversation, and I have ideas that I want to have you back on for, and we'll follow that up. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, Andy.